live from Washington, D.C. It's Ryan Horvath, Trista Crick, and Nick Ashew. About three minutes away from first pitch, game three of the ALCS. Meanwhile, FIU, Ryan, oh God, marching their way down the field, pushing in, and that's going to be a touchdown. They're going to make it 10 nothing after the extra point over Sam Houston. Yeah, not a not a good start. No, no, it's not. It's, you say it. You can use a turnaround. I don't have much else to say about that. I'm, you know, I for your sake, uh, I hope this does turn around for PJ's sake as well, who's in tonight with us. Uh, I I just I hope Sam Houston comes through for you. Zero and six, and you've made me suffer through this horrible football right now. So I definitely want to see you guys hit, because man, that's tough to lay the points with an 0-6 team. Yeah, Ooh. not the start we wanted. We had a field goal blocked. It's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it real It was things. that interception, I mean, yeah. on the first drive. A lot of bad stuff going on right now with <laughs> Sam Houston State, but, you know, that's how it goes. Well, the good thing is there's a better slate coming up in college football the rest of the week. Matt Fortuna jumps on with us now to help us get through Thank all God. of Week 8. Founder of Inside Zone, co-host of the Independent Podcast as well. Let's start with that noon Eastern kickoff, Penn State, Ohio State. Ohio State's a four-and-a-half-point favorite, Matt. And, uh, I mean, look, they, they've had success, especially over the last four meetings against Penn State. When you look at this matchup coming up this weekend, what's the most important thing for the Buckeyes if they want to get another win over Penn State? Yeah, thanks for having you guys. First off, if I could wallow in my own misery, I also have Sam Houston State, so <laughs> thanks for just reminding me of how bad my night's going so far. Uh, but misery loves company, I guess, right? As far as Penn State, Ohio State, I mean, certainly this is as gettable as Ohio State has been probably in the last decade or so. Um, you know, Kyle McCord is who he is. Um, he, he's a good college quarterback. He is not Justin Fields. He's not C.J. Stroud. Uh, and, and we've seen Ohio State struggle to push the ball downfield at times uh, throughout the season. Penn State really has not been tested schedule-wise. I mean, the, the West Virginia win and the, the Iowa win, both dominant at home, are impressive. But they haven't had to go into a place like Notre Dame Stadium and, and win a win a slobber knocker the way Ohio State did last month. So, uh, look, there's a lot of pressure on James Franklin entering this game. He's won an eight lifetime against Ohio State. Uh, this is probably the most talented Penn State team James Franklin has had. And, again, this is probably the least talented Ohio State team that, that Ryan Day has had. Is it still good enough to beat Penn State and still good enough to win the Big Ten? Possibly. I, I think this game's going to be a little bit different from a lot of these two teams' previous meetings. They've had some great meetings despite Ohio State winning. Uh, the majority of them, I, I could see this being a throwback, trustable style kind of game, right? Like the, the, the mid 2000s, uh, you know, w w when these border rivals would, would play 13 6, you know, 21 17. I, I think you've got two really good defenses here. Penn State and Ohio State are first and second nationally, respectively, in, in yards per play against. Uh, and you've got two quarterbacks who, you know, while in Drew Aller's case, he, he's, he's an elite prospect has not faced the environment, has not been tested or, or really been asked to do too much so far. So I think it's going to come down to, to turnovers and, and who's, who plays smarter with the football. Man, I actually want to stick in the Big Ten. Uh, I really like this Michigan team. Obviously, they're giving up five points per game on the defensive side of the ball, but they're 24-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against Michigan State. Rivalry game, and they're moving at like a snail's pace. Really slow pace for Michigan. What do you think about this game? 24-and-a-half, it's, it's a lot of points. We know Michigan's you know, not really covering these big numbers. What would you do here if you had to play this game? Yeah, it feels high. Look, I'll start off by saying I think Michigan looks like the best team in the country. If I got a big national championship pick right now, I'd yeah. probably feel safest with the Wolverines. That said, they started, I think, 0-3 or 0-4 against the spread this season. I was at that game last year against Michigan State. That was also a big line. That was in the 20s. And while Michigan dominated it, they did not come close to covering it. And it never really were, were close to covering it. 
And I just think, you know, it's a rivalry game. It's a very desperate Michigan State team, one that probably had their best chance of winning a conference game, completely collapsed in front of their face. Last week at Rutgers, they gave up 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter uh, to lose a very winnable game. It's also a night game. This game's never been played at night before at Spartan Stadium. You know, Michigan's going to win, but but that's that's way too many points for me to lay on them in a rivalry game like this. I mean, this I know Michigan Ohio State is, is the big rivalry, but this one, in terms of like actual hate and a lot of like mental gymnastics and dynamics, especially in light of the fight in the tunnel last year, this one the, the intensity meter is just up a notch higher, and I just don't feel comfortable laying twenty plus points in a game like that. Matt, this isn't really like a betting question, but that's the beauty of this whole wagertainment thing we do. It doesn't have to actually be about but like when when I watch Michigan and just when you hear outside conversation about college football this year and the parody that we have and maybe Georgia's not as good and we've seen Alabama not look as strong as they have in the past, I feel like Michigan doesn't get enough credit. You talk about how great they are and you hear whispers and some people saying they might be the best team in college football and you know, Harbaugh obviously goes out and says what he says about JJ McCarthy. Why do you think Michigan doesn't get more maybe attention or isn't in the conversation more with just all of the, I guess you could almost say down seasons, and I'll put it in quotes with some of those other powers I just mentioned. Uh, I think two reasons. One, last year they were probably good enough to win the national championship, and they completely gave it away against a, a look, great, great story in TCU. I don't think anyone thought TCU going into that game was going to win that game or even thought they'd get that far to begin with. So I think the, the letdown, the big game letdown from last year, has a bit of a hangover effect. It was a not pretty off season in Ann Arbor, right? You had an offensive coordinator get fired for computer crimes. You had Jim Harbaugh flirt with the NFL. You had Jim Harbaugh get uh, get suspended for the first couple games of this year because of NCAA violations. You had Shemmy Schembechler uh, get hired and then fired because of social media um, controversy. So, you know, the combination of that and, and the fact that, let's face it, they played the number 78 strength of schedule in the country, according to Jeff Sagarin this year. Yeah. They've done their job. They've looked dominant on the field. I'm not taking anything away from what they've done. But because they've had those big game letdowns, because they haven't played in a big game yet, I think that, you know, there, there's a perception out there that the jury is still out with this program to, to a certain degree, rightly or wrongly. Matt, you know what's funny? I hated the idea of the expanded playoff, but now I wish we had it this season because <laughs> this season, I just feel like we've never had this much parity, man. Like, we've been talking about the NFL, and I just think college football, I'm a big college guy, so I always think it's the better product. But this year, I mean, that Oregon-Washington game, it's hard to really drop off Oregon, you know, like to drop them on your power rankings because I thought they almost played a perfect game. You know, maybe Dan Lanning wants a couple of those decisions back, sure. probably takes the points, uh, you know, going into the half. But you look at this upcoming schedule for Washington, right? Um, they get Arizona State, Stanford, USC. They got some tough games down the stretch on the road against Oregon State, of course. But uh, what, do you think that they do run the table? And what happens if they run the table, Oregon runs the table, they meet again, Oregon beats them in the Pac-12 championship game, and you have two one-loss teams in the Pac-12? You know, like, how, how do you go about that? Because do you put them both you know, in, or, or do you leave them both out? What do you do there? It's funny the way you, you preface that because I'm with you. I can't wait for the 12-team playoff. More games, the merrier. I think it will create more national interest around the sport and, and will we'll keep our attention focused on teams beyond just the kind of four biggest brands deep into the month of November. That being said, this being the last year of the 14 playoff and chaos reigning across the country, I'm kind of excited it's only four this year because I think we have a real chance to see some new faces in the final year of this format. Washington, well, I guess Washington wouldn't be a new face. They made it in 2016, but they're not your traditional yeah. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Blue Bloods. Uh, I have the same question about that you have in the Pac-12 uh, with the Big 12, because I don't see anyone being Oklahoma or Texas. 
And if those two teams meet up again in the Big 12 title game and Texas beats Oklahoma and hands them their first loss, and oh, by the way, they also beat Alabama in their non-conference season, Texas is a shoo-in again in the playoff. Is Oklahoma going to be in there with them? And I would say the same thing, right, with Washington and Oregon. The Pac-12, unfortunately, has had a series and a habit of cannibalizing itself uh, where every team has at least two losses and they knock each other out. I think this league is too deep for any one team to go uh, through the length of the season undefeated. But I do think a one-loss Pac-12 champion will get in the playoff this year. Would that be Oregon if they went out from here on out and they get maybe a revenge win against Washington? I think so. I mean, it'd be hard to keep them out, right, with their only loss being a three-point road loss in the game that they led for much of the second half. Again, a lot of it is dependent on what happens elsewhere. The ACC outside of Florida State does not look like it has a legitimate playoff threat at the moment. Maybe North Carolina, but they're going to have to run the table, which is really hard to do. Uh, the SEC, they'll get someone in. It's the SEC, and I think everyone's worst fear is undefeated Georgia, one loss Alabama, and Alabama winning that game in the SEC title game and the SEC getting two teams in, even if they probably don't deserve it this year. Uh, so I think a lot of it is dependent upon what happens across the country. But I'll tell you what, the Pac-12 has the most fascinating race in the country. Uh, USC, you know, made the title game last year. They were undefeated entering last week against Notre Dame. Obviously, it's not a conference loss, but I thought that was a very flawed Trojans team that had at least two Pac-12 losses on their schedule, and four of their final five games are against ranked teams. So, you know, they're going to be a factor in this. They play Utah this week. Utah's still a factor in it. Uh, You know, I know they haven't played to their potential yet, but they also haven't had their starting quarterback all year, and they've also beaten USC three times in the last two years. So that's a very big game in Southern California this weekend. Uh, But but I do think Oregon and Washington are the class of the Pac-12, and uh, maybe they can meet again in the Pac-12 title game. Maybe we could rebrand it as the Big Ten title game junior, since we'll be seeing that uh, (laughs) in the Midwest next year. Talking to Matt Fortuna, yeah, let's let's look at that uh, Utah-USC game. USC is a... uh, touchdown favorite right now and we obviously we have a Notre Dame fan sitting next to me that uh, certainly loved what he saw last week Caleb Williams yeah. throwing three picks and it was interesting after the game Matt because Lincoln Riley it's not like he directly threw a shot at Caleb Williams but there was the we didn't have a problem with our receivers getting separation so it kind of felt like a shot without it actually being a shot does this feel kind of like a bounce back game where that was a wake-up call for this team I know defensively they're still a mess but you got to feel like right Caleb Williams and that offense kind of get things right against Utah this time around yeah I mean Caleb Williams had six intercept six career interceptions in a USC uniform entry in that game and then he threw three in the first half like yeah. that's probably not going to happen again again full credit to Notre Dame's defense Al Golden called the game of his life they completely probably ruined any chance Caleb Williams had of repeating as a Heisman winner. Uh, so I think Caleb Williams will bounce back, but I also think, you know, they got exposed on the offensive line in that game. They are not nearly as good as they were up front last year, and Utah's not the team you want to go into with uh, a depleted offensive line. And the defense, which has got its fair share of deserved criticism throughout this year, they were fine against Notre Dame. I mean, they were put in disadvantageous situations time after time again, and they probably would have been better off, you know, holding Notre Dame to field goals instead of touchdowns in a number of those red zone spots but you you have to wonder okay they staved off the execution on that side of the ball another week is Utah the team that's going to blow them up I have a hard time seeing it without Cam rising Uh, but Utah can run the football Utah's a physical team I mean Colorado last month in that USC game entered the game dead last nationally in rushing yards per game they ran for 193 yards against the USC defense that was playing with a 27 point second half lead so I, I, I just don't think – I think this is a very flawed team. I think Caleb Williams made up for a lot of flaws, masked those flaws throughout the first half of the season. 
when he wasn't clicking last week, everything else collapsed around him. I think he bounces back. I think they probably win this game. I just don't, don't think Utah is, is quite there yet offensively. But, again, I, I don't think USC wins at Oregon. I don't think they win at home against Washington. And UCLA is always a toss-up as well. Yeah, Matt, I feel like what we're seeing from Caleb is kind of what we saw from Mahomes a couple of years ago when he couldn't figure out, like, the too-high shell. And he, it was, like, a lot of hero ball because I saw, like, all 13 of his turnover-worthy throws are all under pressure, a lot of, like, stuff off his back foot. And then you have Drake May, who right now looks pretty good. The numbers weren't great, but then he got Tez Walker back. In the last two weeks, man, Tez is, like, especially last week, that was his coming-out party against Miami. What do you think the ceiling is for this Carolina team? The defense is much better. You have Tez Walker. You know, you do have Drake May. But they have some tough games. Obviously, Duke coming up and then Clemson on November 18th on the road in Death Valley. I mean, it's a team that's absolutely good enough to win the ACC. The question is, is, is winning the ACC good enough to make the playoff this year, right? I mean, last year the ACC title game was Clemson-North Carolina. Clemson won that one handily. And, by the way, both those teams got absolutely smoked by a, a decent Notre Dame team last year, a four-loss Notre Dame team last year. Uh, so, so the ACC has a perception problem in, in that regard. I think – you know, it would be in everyone's best interest in that league for Florida State to take care of business against Duke this weekend and to, to, to presumably win out. I do think having that non-conference win uh, against LSU will, will be a nice feather in their cap moving forward. I think perception-wise, Clemson getting Notre Dame at home uh, the first weekend of November is another chance for a marquee non-conference win. But I do think Carolina, we, we've seen them at their best, right? And we've seen them at their best last year with Drake May. We've seen them uh, in previous years as well. I mean, when they're on, they're on. They're a team that tends to, uh, you know, oversell and under-deliver or undersell and over-deliver, right? Every time you think they're not going to be that good, they come out and shock you, and every time, you know, they're, they're, they've got a big, a small number next to their name, ranking-wise, uh, they lay an egg. I mean, losing at home last year to Georgia Tech is unacceptable. They, they tend to have a game or two like that every year. They have not yet. I thought they had a very impressive performance against a good Miami team at home last week. And we'll see how far they can take this. But I, I do think it's for a guy who put up as big of numbers as he did last year and came in as hyped as he has, Drake May has been awfully quiet in the national Heisman discussion, despite the fact that he probably has as good a shot as anyone at winning it right now. Yeah, it feels about as wide open as the national championship right now. Matt Fortuna, great talking to you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. Hey, anytime, guys. Thank you. You know, it's funny to think, too, like we talk about the Pac-12 having such a great season last year that it's going to be that way. Talk about the parody in college football this year. Last year, it's only going to be four for the college football playoff. Yeah. We're like, everything's just kind of like happening. The timing's off in a couple of different things here. See, I agree with Matt. Like, I, the reason I didn't want the expanded playoff is I think it takes away a little bit from the regular season. Like, I like that every game is so important. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, you lose one game, it's crushing. But it also makes it fun. Hey, is this a hot take? I would take Drake May over Caleb Williams, number one. Is it because of the three interceptions? No. No. Not at all. I think, I mean, like, I like that is I like my quarterbacks over six foot four. It is a hot take. Drake Caleb, May can make every throw. And Drake Caleb May's Williams super like athletic. Six three, isn't he? He's like 6'2". Okay. It's bad MGM tonight. I like Drake May better. It's time for a short commercial break. Don't go anywhere, though, because we'll be right back with even more BetMGM Tonight, presented by BetMGM, live from BetQL.